2: Oh, hey, I'm Ricky Bother. And I'm Cal Naughton Jr. Let's talk about kids on leashes. This is Dirt and Spray. Fire Safety Week is right around the corner. And here are a few important tips you might want to listen to. Wrapping your kids in newspaper at bedtime sounds like a good idea. Keeps them warm. But guess what? That stuff's flammable. With Andy Dirt Johnson. Hey, we've all run around with an empty milk jug full of gasoline and lit it in an open field. But make sure there's a parent close by. And Brendan Spray. What's better than a nap? A nap with a cigarette. I know. i do it. If you're going to sleep in bed, make it a hammock. So if it lights on fire, you fall down and wake up. Dirt and Spray gun on 1080. Fire safety begins in your brain at home. The Fan. Click,
3: click, pull. Hey, let's do this final hour. Dirt and Spray here on Portland Sports Leader 1080. The Fan. 99.5 HD2, the Odyssey app, which is may or may not be working right now. So our T's and P's to all of you trying to listen on the app. Jeez. Hopefully it's up soon. Hopefully we get it all figured out. And uh, if you miss any of the show, you can always go check the podcast at uh, 1080thefan.com. We tweet it out at and Sprague. It is on the Odyssey app. Our teasing piece. It is also uh, basically everywhere you can find podcasts, our yeah. podcast is. Yeah. It's everywhere. True. Yeah. You can go find it. Yeah. Just type it in on any any podcasting site. You can go find our podcast. So uh, our and piece to you who can't listen this morning, and uh, we wish that you could, and hopefully it is resolved soon. We had a couple of texts coming in. We were talking about hot food, cartoon characters. Yeah, Miss Swiss got texted in a few times. That's That's a good one. I didn't think of Miss Swiss. Yeah, that's a good one. The
2: Swiss Miss.
3: The the Swiss Miss. My apologies. Yeah. Yes. Is that what she like? But is she not Miss Swiss? Because I know the product is Swiss Miss. That I don't know. Okay. But either way, it works. Swiss Miss, Miss Swiss. So that got texted in a handful of times. And uh, that, that was that was a pretty good one. I like that. Was Betty Boop always just a cartoon swag or was she originally a spokesperson that turned no, into that a cartoon? No, that was a cartoon. Okay. Had to have been his first crush. I love that somebody just texted in the Jolly Green Giants. Jolly Green Dong. Okay, let's do this in the final hour. Um... <laughs> Yes, and people are asking about uh, PGA. People want hot PGA Tour golf talk in the final hour. I mean, you are the host of the Grip City podcast. We can talk about this because we've got actual, like, physical... Oh, we'll get to it, I saw the video, by the way. Oh, the T-flick? Way underwhelming. Okay, I haven't seen the video of the T-flick. It's not anywhere close to what you heard. No, no. He literally shakes a hand. Rory is crouched down, clearly avoiding him. Yeah. He's trying to say something. Rory's ignoring him, stays crouched looking forward. And as Reed walks away, he grabs a tee out of his pocket and he lightly tosses it towards Rory's direction and then walks away. There is nothing more than that. Uh, I would like to submit to the jury. Most unlikable athlete in all of sports. Now, barring, like, like, did you see the Mike Clevenger story yesterday? Did you read oh, any on dude, that? that? I mean, but that's a different thing. That's, that's right. That's you got to throw that crime. out, right? Like, like, not Sean Watson, like, like, actually breaking the law and doing illegal things. And you know who his best friend in Cleveland was, right? Who? Clevenger's? I do not know. Trevor Bauer. Oh, makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Two peas in a pod. <laughs> so Trevor Brown was trending yesterday and went, no, what yeah, happened? He, he threw a, a chew from his mouth at his 10-month-old child. So it seems like a great guy, and the White Sox still haven't cut him yet. So good on you, Chicago. I imagine being that. I would like to submit to the jury, most unlikable athlete in all the sports, Patrick Reed, for consideration.
2: Yeah, he's up there in Patrick Beverly uh, territory.
3: See, I think pa- Patrick Beverly I, I at least respect. Patrick Beverly knows he's this. Like, he knows he's a villain. Yeah. He knows his role is to get under guy's skin. Yes. And let's also, like, look, we all hate Patrick Beverly. The whole thing with him and Dan the other night, that's great drama, and he's tapping the wrist. We we all hate Patrick Beverly. The fact that that dude's carved out an NBA career and he has zero offensive game, I I respect that. Like his role is a get under your skin defender, and he's been pretty damn good at it for the better. Now every team he's on eventually gives up on him after a year. Uh, but I, I, there's a respect that I have for Patrick. But I have zero respect for Patrick Reed. Uh, yeah, I also have zero respect for, for Reed. Um, my respect not quite as high for Pep Bev. He had one of the more egregious. He had a Dylan Brooks foul moment last night. Oh, like a flop situation? Oh, I, I mean, oh he's a horrible flop. He got swiped at but not touched. The ball got loose, and then by the time the Clippers were running to the court, he then flailed his body up <laughs> in the paint, and nobody called anything because that's the stupidest flop I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but I, I think your point is right. Like he's in the he's in the category. Yeah, take away the Bowers, the Clevengers, yes, the elite. The, the, break, the lawbreakers. Yeah. We know who they are and what they are. We're talking about guys who seem like they're probably pretty Straight up, you know, law-abiding citizens, but they're just absolute, utter douchebags. Patrick Reed, I think you bringing this to the jury is a very good option. Okay, you hear my, you hear my cases. Who? Well, who would the other? If you, you'd have to have like a, a an option list here. Most unlikable athletes. So Draymond, I think, is in this. He punched his own teammate in the face. Yeah. Is he more unlikable in the NBA circles than Patrick Beverly though? Well, probably not because he's more wanted by teams than Patrick Beverley. I mean, he's a better player. Like, Patrick Beverley's peak moment of his career is either laughing at Dame while not playing yeah, or jumping on the broadcast table because his team want to play in game. I mean, if you go—now, there's a difference here, too. Like, if you enter into the all-time discussion, then you get your Bill Lambert's— Oh, that's a different thing, too. We're talking about current— modern AJ Piersinski. God, I still hate AJ Piersinski. You hated AJ Pierzinski? I hate AJ. I was kind of conditioned to like him because he (laughs) played because before he became like a bigger name, he played for Team USA in some, I don't know, World Cup or I don't know what they did, but I remember him playing in the on the USA team and I'm like, who's this dude? And then he was in baseball and he became kind of a name. I think Kyrie Irving is is a part of this right now. Um, I'm going to end up and naming like a lot of NBA players. I feel like Grayson Allen is kind of in there. I'm trying to find a thing of the most hated athletes right now in sports <laughs> hmm. to see if I can have any other names that that, uh, that show up. Well, like Novak Djokovic is a good one. Yeah, I don't really. I mean, he's an ant, the, the Vax thing, but I don't really have any other feelings he's about He's kind Djokovic. of a douchebag. Is he? Yeah, he was caught screaming about a guy who was saying mean things to him in his tennis match and okay, basically, you're going to kick him out. I do think to a lot of folks, Aaron Rodgers has delved into that category. Well, okay, but are are we including people just that we disagree with on certain issues? Are we just like you actually view Aaron Rodgers and say, I think it's a combo for Aaron Rodgers that it's the the constant drama every offseason. Like he was on Pat McAfee yesterday and I watched a good chunk of that interview because I was just curious what he was going to have to say. And, you know, he's it just it's the he's same thing with the trade or over no trade. again. Like, yeah, yeah we'll rework my contract, I and I don't know where I'm going to be. And I, you know, it's just, yeah. like, here we go again. I, I think Packer fans are ready to trade him. Oh, I think they There's did. a hot take for you. I think they definitely are. I think they just want to, hey, let's just see what Jordan Love is, and if it doesn't work, let's just. Let's just start over. Um, just scrolling through Google on my search right now, uh, Tony Stewart showing up. <laughs> I mean, he killed a guy with a car. That's so. right. I forgot about that. Yeah. And then nothing happened to I him, forgot so. about that. He's well, blackballed from NASCAR. You got any other uh, people asking, is it all Patrick's? Why is it? <laughs> yeah. what well, is Patrick, Patrick Reed and Patrick Beverly. The name. It's is the Mahomes name. the only one we like? No, we all love Patrick Ewing, didn't we? Hey. Nobody disliked Patrick Ewing. Well, there was the Ewing theory. Were they better without him? <laughs> <laughs> hey, they got a win last night. You see that? The Hoyas? Snap their 20, whatever. 29 game, game losers. Yeah, their streak. first
2: uh, you hear big the East Conference win in almost two years. Did you hear the call of this?
3: No. I'm going to send you the call. For Jason Swingard calls Portland Pilots basketball. Yeah. Does a great job. I don't listen, but it's great. <laughs> Thanks. This I'm going to send you this audio and then just ask yourself how does this guy have the job as the Georgetown play by play-, play guy? It's one of the worst calls I've ever heard. Do we have to. Uh, do we have to limit it to athletes? Like, could I put Dabo in this? You can put coaches in that. I'm okay. I I think Dabo Sports figures. I'm okay with that. I think Dabo Sweeney's in this. I think Jerry Jones is in this. Somebody said Patrick Reed is minus 1,000 to win this championship. (laughs) (laughs) No no sense in gambling on that line. Uh, Johnny Manziel, Bryson got texted in. Uh, Bryson? Yeah, but Bryson's kind of, and I think he's discovering this. He's faded to the background. He is absolutely faded. So he, and maybe he wanted that. He sacrificed the fame, notoriety, and you know, divisiveness of his career with just, I'll take the big bag and you'll never see me again. Yeah. Um, Indamakinsu. That was there for some people. See, I, I'm kind of inherently always defending and rooting on Indomakinsou because of the Portland thing. Me too. I'm not telling you that you're not wrong. Were there some dirty plays in there? Yeah. I mean, was he yeah. stepping on arms? Yes, he yeah, was. There could have been a thing or two there. Uh, but he's a PIL guy. We stick together. He's a little dirty, but I I love him. He's us. He's one of us. He's a PIL one guy. of yeah. us. Urban one Meyer coming in. Me. Urban Meyer is a Ooh. solid, solid choice. But Urban Meyer is not currently. Not currently. He's an analyst. I need to be yeah. a coach or an athlete. I need somebody in the sport. But Urban might be minus 1,000 if he was in this. Uh, Let me throw my next take quake at you and see how we feel about this. So this came from an NBA podcast. The Hoopaholics, I believe, is the name of the podcast, I think. Uh, this is the don't quote me on that uh, the Crowder Ryan Clark yeah pod. I thought it was like I am athlete. Okay, maybe that's what it is. I don't know what it, I know. Those guys do a lot <laughs> of good stuff. Well, we'll roll with your take on that. Here, here is what was said, and I want to know if we're giving any credence to this or if we're laughing this off. They interviewed on that podcast Kwame Brown. Do we remember Kwame Brown? How could you forget of Kwame number Brown. one NBA draft pick fame, Kwame Brown? Yeah. He went on this podcast and tried to make the argument that it is better in professional sports to be a bust than it is to be a superstar in the modern era and his take essentially was i made a, t- a i made a ton of money which he did. His career earnings, I believe, turned out to be $63 million. I think is what he made yeah, in his career. Life. $63 million. Yeah, not bad. And he says, I, I don't have the pressure of superstardom, the living up to the all-time standards, and I can go and do anything I want because nobody recognizes, hardly, Kwame Brown. And he compared, he said, look at LeBron. LeBron can't go anywhere. There's always that pedestal. Is he on it? Is he not? Is he better than MJ? There's always that constant stress. He said, I made made $63 million to basically work for half of a decade, and now I'm getting to live my life however I want. Hmm. Are we giving any credence to Kwame Brown saying it's better to be a bus than it is a superstar? Um, I see his big picture thinking he got 60 mil. The problem is, and they they address this on the podcast, you're seven feet, dude. You don't just walk around and people don't ask questions. That's a good point. You stand out like a sore thumb when you're <laughs> seven like, feet tall. And if you have any sports knowledge on any level, you see him and you go, oh, my God, that's Kwame Brown. Hell, I, I look at anybody I see in public, it's like six foot six, and I'm like, how are you not in the NBA? You wasted your body. There's a dude at our gym that's maybe six five, <laughs> absolutely yoked, and I, he just walks around. I'm like, what? what are you doing? Why are you not getting paid to play a sport right now? Why are you here with me? You did something wrong. I just it was such a cuz I you say it on the surface level and you're like there's no like who wouldn't would rather be a superstar. And then you you peel back one layer of the onion and you're like, "Well, he did work for like 6 years and made 63 million dollars and now gets to essentially his body isn't run down like yeah, some other dude, athletes." Yeah, but 63 million like he made 63 million dollars for being a good high school basketball player. Yeah. That was it. Yep. That's all he ever had to He had to do. tiny hands. He had bad <laughs> footwork. And, and Michael Jordan said, oh, he's 18. He's killing in the uh, high school level. He okay. dominated kids my size. And he made $63 million because of it. Yeah, but, like, ultimately... Would you rather? I mean, is he right for you? No, I don't think I can ultimately side with him. But I see the merit. Somebody said he's not necessarily wrong. All that money, none of the fame. Yeah. Not a bad deal. But, but what I, if I told you you could make a billion dollars? That's what the Texas said. A billion's better yeah, than $63 a million. Sixty. I mean, I could live on $63 million, though, I think. What is that Justin Timberlake social <laughs> network? You know what's better than a million dollars? A billion dollars. And that was it. He was hooked. Zuckerberg was over. <laughs> Oh, I saw that. I was like, ah, that's, that's a yeah. bit of a takeaway. So there you go. Kwame Brown uh, tries Bye. to make the argument it's better to be a buzz. I I went to a LeBron game a couple years ago. I think it was his final year in Cleveland, and I went as a media member. And I went back to the tunnel before the first half ended, and I was the only media member back there. LeBron came off the court first, and it was quite literally just me and LeBron. And he was going towards the locker room. I was standing behind the barricade. And I had my phone out. I was just kind of doing the media thing, but I can understand for them, it probably always looks awkward and weird that somebody's got a phone out at him. Trying to take a picture of him. I wasn't saying anything. I was just kind of taking a video first half. And a dude comes out of nowhere and bum rushes me. It was like, yo, 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 yo. And I grabbed my media credential and I put it right in his face. And he'll get your hands off me. (laughs) And he goes, yo, I'm sorry. And he walked with LeBron back to the locker room. That's happening when LeBron is in public. Yes, it is. You ain't is. just snapping a photo with LeBron James, and largely he's probably ignoring most people. Yes. Because he's so used to being asked to take photos. So, to Kwame's point, eh, is he. Is he always taking photos? I don't think he is. Yeah, they also, I mean, I think there's a difference, too, between a bus that just sucked, like Kwame Brown, and I don't remember his career vividly, like every detail of it, and a and a and a bus that got injured, and that's what led them to be a bust. Because I think there's one thing. He like, just wasn't good. He just played, played, wasn't good, he right? He played.
1: He just wasn't good. Like the
3: Greg Oden aspect of it, I think it, you would be stuck the rest of your life with the what if. It's a, there's a what sad if I, nature like, to it. In yeah. the back of your mind, that would always be rattling around. Of, if I could have stayed healthy, what could I have become? Well, Kwame Brown just sucked. He just wasn't a good basketball player. Greg Oden, there's a... I think you can live with it. You can sleep at night. Like, oh, I just yeah. won that good. I made $63 million and I wasn't that good. There's a really sad video. Greg Oden's talked about this too and he's admitted as much. Like, it is, it sucks to think about. It sucks to know that that is. He's kind of moved on. He's doing the coaching thing now. Yeah. There's a video of him walking on the Ohio State campus after his career is over. And I think he's trying to dive back into the coaching thing. And an older woman stops him and was like, do you play basketball? (laughs) And he has to be like, well, I I did. Like somebody made this video with the back and forth and they added really sad music to it. Oh, god. And as soon as he walks, he's smiling. He's answering her questions. And as he walks away and she walks away, his face is towards the camera he has the saddest look of a human you can possibly see of, like... That's a tough look. I, to t- I hate talking about this because it sucks. Yeah. He was a really good basketball player. He went to the national championship at Ohio State. They lost to that Al Horford-Joakim Noah team. I, I mean, he was averaging, like, 14 and 13 yeah. before he got hurt, man. Yeah. Like, he was on his way. Well, that just depressed everybody this morning. Let's get to Statter Story, your favorite segment's favorite segment, next on the... Fa-
0: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect. Impress them on the third date, guac-
4: Crunch the numbers.
3: There's 6,127 students at Adams, 58% of which are girls. So? So that's 7,107.32. <laughs> <food. laughs>
4: Break the news. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. Is it a stat or a story? Evidence based on olfactory prowess is inadmissible, in case you didn't know. This
2: is Stat or Story, a monumental judgment Call with Dirt and Sprague on 1080. Come on, don't miss. The Fan.
3: That's right, folks. Sadder story time. I got an all-pro segment I want to do at the bottom of the hour. Blazers back in action. Something to file away for tomorrow. Mr. Pumpkin Pie himself has the Seattle Seahawks picking qu- a quarterback Ooh. in his first mock draft. He's got quarterbacks at two, four, five. five Will Levis nine. going 5 to Seattle, according yeah. to Mr. Pumpkin Pie. Yeah, I think Mr. Pumpkin Kiper. Pie is... I think he's smoking uh, something. That'd I be pretty surprising, that. would it not? Yeah, yeah. I'd yeah. be pretty shocked. Uh, all right, what do we got today, Swag?
2: Uh, we got randoms today. Okay. So we'll start with your first number being 76. Is it the number three-point shots LeBron James has made against the Clippers during his NBA career after he had a career-high nine against them Tuesday night? Just destroyed him, and they still got blown out. Still got blown out. Yeah. Or is it the number of years ago the Irish coffee cocktail was first replicated in the United States at the Buena Vista Cafe? It is National Irish Coffee Day. Okay. Okay. What's the number again? Give me the number one more time. 76. 76. Uh, Stat.
3: Uh, Number of threes he's made in his career against the Clippers like played 20 years, so the odds are against... It's yeah, I mean, I'm going in the Eastern
2: Conference a lot. But they played him twice yeah, every year. Twice. Yeah. He's
3: been in the West now for a bit. five, six years, I want to say. This is year five or six, yeah. I, look, I, I know I'm going to be wrong, but I'm going to use my logic <laughs> and say it's a
2: story. It is a stat. Yeah. He's got 76 threes. Also became the first player to score 40 against every team in the NBA. I saw that. Uh, him and Kobe, the only ones to do it. Well, Kobe never played for another team, so he never scored 40 against the Lakers.
3: You gonna you gonna use that
2: against me? And then there was a third player that actually had scored 40 against every team in the NBA at the time he played. Who? Bob Pettit, And there were eight teams in the NBA. Big
3: fan of Bob Pettit. Big fan of his game. Big Bob uh, but Pettit no, guy.
2: a travel rider named Stanton Delaplane. That's a hell of a name. Uh, while traveling in Ireland, he was at the Shannon Airport and had a uh, Irish coffee made for him, uh, which is a uh, two-thirds full glass of freshly brewed coffee, a heaping table a teaspoon of sugar, one ounce of Irish whiskey, and then a slightly whipped cream uh, floating on top. He brought it back. He knew uh, the owners of the Buena Vista Cafe. And uh, November 10th, 1952, after a uh, lot of trial and error, it was uh, then served 70 years ago.
3: Irish coffees are delicious.
2: Always a fan. I think I might have to uh, try to replicate that. I got a little Bushmills on the bar shelf uh, hey, at home. Hey, there so, you
3: go. Not drinking this year. At all? I'm sorry. I mean, I've drank twice already, but yeah, for the most <laughs> part, not drinking. Okay. I've cut back a lot on drinking, the too. The circumstances in which I drank were very unique. I yeah, I don't plan to drink. Yeah, I'll have a beer on a golf course, you know, that kind of thing, like crack a cold one every now and then after a round of golf. But I'm even staying away there. Look at you. Well, we'll see how much that holds up. Summertime's tough.
2: All right, your next number, 3,106. 3,106. Is it the total number of total bases Scott Rowland collected during his now Hall of Fame Major League career? Or is it the size and carats of the world's largest mined diamond that was unearthed on this day in
3: 1905? The, oh. Hmm. What's the I number? 3,106. And this is the basis he collected? As Total bases. I'm going to say story. It's got to be a story. Oh, God. It's got to it be, yeah, be a story. It's got to be a story. Oh,
2: Yes. Uh, Scott Rowland collected 3,628 yeah. total bases in his 17-year career. Cool
3: video yesterday. Dirt doesn't care, and I understand. Boycotting Hall boycott got fame. the Hall of Fame. I'm done with the Hall of Fame. Todd Helton's a Hall of Famer. What are we doing? What are we doing here? He'll be in I, next year. I mean, Billy Wagner will probably be what are we in we doing? next year. Stupid. What are we, Scott Rowland's a good player. What are we doing here? Uh, Fred McGriff and Scott Rowland, both cool videos. Verducci made one with the crime dog. Loved it. Almost cried. Dale Murphy's still not in. What are we doing? Yeah, uh, I don't and, know what that's all and about. And Rowland got to tell his parents, like, how often? a guy's that age, his parents were still alive, he rolled into the house and he got to tell them and golly, you know what I'll always remember Scott rolling for? what making an air in game three of the nlds 2012 giants and reds the giants were on the brink of getting swept in the divisional round and he made an air that extended the game they won game three and went on to win the series i remember thank that. you scott roland that was the year that we first worked together and prime time you fake recorded your reaction to the giants <laughs> beating the reds for prime time i had to run the game on 9 10 i was working in an old prod three yeah. at the old building and they were like hey we want your reaction so you knew you were being recorded so yeah, it's very what do You do? You're like. <laughs> Very awkward.
2: Uh, the Cullinan Diamond, the largest gem-quality rough diamond ever found, three thousand one hundred seven carats, uh, in uh, in Pretoria, South Africa, was uh, unearthed on this date in nineteen oh five. Nineteen oh five. Yeah, that's a lot of carats, man. That was a large.
3: Uh, How big is it? How big of a diamond are we talking here? How many? Did you do a real diamond? yeah we did a real diamond you did I did a real diamond.
2: So one. it equates to one pound nearly six ounces. Also question just for it the- was cut into a uh, hundred and five different polished you know cut gemstones. It looks like it showed up on a crown. am I reading this correctly?
3: Probably the queen's crown because they yeah. stole everything from South Africa. Hey, those monarchs, though, great people. Let's mourn their law, their passing. Uh, <laughs> why do we pay as much for lab-grown? I didn't think you did. But I, don't know. I don't know. I mean, aren't you still paying a pretty penny for those? I've only bought a nice diamond once in my
2: life. So hmm. the largest of those stones, uh, the Cullinan One, or Great Star of Africa, uh, was mounted on the head of the sovereign scepter with cross, so it was it was a scepter.
3: Okay, it's pretty badass that you have a scepter with the biggest diamond. Yeah, not really a, a jewelry diamond guy. The colon and diamond is also uh, incorporated into the Crown Jewels. Oh, yes. How about that? I've always had a dream that I find a sunken treasure. It was presented to King Edward the Seventh. There you go. Here we go. These slaves found this diamond. Take it. Like, what do you do if you find it just a big buried treasure full of just gold doubloons? You sell it. You retire. But you like, how cool would that experience be? Oh, it'd be badass. You find it. You're able to salvage it, take it with you. Where do you even go? Like, yeah. you, just go you don't go to a pawn shop. Where do you take that? Maybe a you museum go to or something. national
2: museums. You yeah. go to countries, depending so on So i got to you...
3: hold on to that until I get to where I need to go. I'm going to get robbed. So maybe I don't want to find a buried well, treasure. Well, how do people going to know you found the treasure? Don't you tell mean, anybody. Don't tell anybody. You don't find a buried treasure to not get to the beach. Like, I
2: found treasure!
3: My dad and brother and I used to look for treasure all the time on the Oregon coast back in the day. My grandma bought me a metal detector once, and I used it, and I felt like just an absolute geek. I, it. I found like a bottle cap and <laughs> 50 cents or something. It was it sucked. A
2: whole quarter? Your final number is 23. 23. They say there's like billions of dollars in the ocean. Maybe. I know. Neha Connie, man. Uh, 23. Is it the number of postseason touchdown passes thrown by Patrick Mahomes so far in his NFL career? So in the playoffs,
3: 23. 23 playoff touchdown. Or is
2: it the age of Spike the Chihuahua in Camden, Ohio, recently verified as the world's oldest living dog?
3: Try to do some math here quickly. I believe so, this is five straight AFC Championship games. That I means... believe he's played an eleven or twelve playoff games in his career. Uh huh. If my because I think they've have home field advantage every year, have they not? Yeah, he hasn't been on the road for he AFC Championship He might have won one game. wild card game because I think that one year Baltimore was the number one seed, so they had to win a wild card game that year. So maybe it was four games that year. Okay, so we're, it was somewhere in the eleven to thirteen range, and twenty three is our number. Yeah. Feels like it'd be a little more than that, right? It does feel like it'd be more than that. Maybe he had games where he had one tutty. I mean, look, I'm going to use horrible logic again, Story, and I'm going to go story. It's going to be a stack. No? Hey.
2: Patty Mahomes has thrown 30 postseason touchdown passes. He has two playoff games where he has thrown five touchdown passes. Uh, that would be wild card uh, in January or in uh, year is that? Twenty twenty when they put fifty-one on the Texans.
3: So I remember that was a game they were down like twenty-four-nothing early, and Bill O'Brien punted yep. like a and wuss, last, and they came all the way back yeah. and won at Arrowhead.
2: That's and then last crazy. year in the wild card round they put 42 on the Steelers. Yeah,
3: I forgot that game was so bad I totally oh, forgot about Steelers. that game. That was Big
2: Ben and
3: Nobody wanted him in the playoffs. Who was the one seed in the AFC last year?
2: Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah, they lost. Right, they lost to the Bengals in the divisional round. Uh, But no, this is from our friends at Huffington Post. Spike the Chihuahua in Camden, Ohio, recently verified by Guinness World Records to be the world's oldest living dog, 23 years and seven days. This was after Pebbles the uh, Fox Terrier uh, previously held the record, died back in October, five months before her 23rd birthday. Hmm. That's old, man. Is that dog
3: living a good life, or are they like doing this for the record?
2: Spike? Oh, there's a picture of Spike here. Where's Is it Spike up to date? Or Can he move? Spikes nine? Does he have use of his Spike? legs?
3: Spike looks pretty good. Okay. All right. My parents' the last dog lived at age 15. That's yep. 23's too old. <laughs> that's a long time to <laughs> take care of. But that's a long time to <laughs>
2: That's good. it. 23
3: is a bit long. I find like yeah, of it life. interesting
2: that these super into their 20s are all little tiny, little tiny guys. Accessory dogs. I've always wanted
3: a tortoise, and then they're like, tortoises live to 150. I'm like, mm, yeah, you're right. <laughs> being a Sprague family for generations, man. You know, don't parrots live to like, their are 80 years you pass old. it down to your kids. Your kids oh. will pass it down to their kids. Their kids will pass it down to their kids. It's Sprague the tortoise. I just have a year of my life where I don't have animal obligations. <laughs> Please. There you go. Sadder story. Every Wednesday at 8.15, I want to get to an all-pro story that I saw last week. <clears throat> and uh, wit- I'm going to ask this going into the break. Do you get more excited if your college program lands a big-time fish as in recruiting the portal, recruit whatever, on the defensive
4: side of the ball or the offensive side of the ball, because this surprised me. We'll get to that coming up next. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites.
3: The job. To top it off. I'm kind of hungry. Can't eat till I find my money. Alright, welcome in back in. Blazers in our tonight. We'll close up with that. They take on the Yaz. I saw this. He kind of fouled things away. We were pretty busy last week, a lot of stuff going on. Playoffs. We didn't get to it earlier this week. This has been in my notes since last week. Did you happen to see the piece that came out from Bruce Feldman on the NFL All Pro teams and how it relates to recruiting? Uh, I didn't. Is it one of those, like, shows you what the f- five stars end up doing versus yes. the four stars? Like one of those kind of pieces? Yes. I did not see his latest, but I've seen those pieces done before. And you're like, oh, yep, five stars are good to have. It's kind of crazy. So if you were to guess on this year's NFL All-Pro team, first team All-Pro in the NFL, yeah, were more of the players uh, five-star blue-chip recruits on the offensive side of the ball coming out of high school or the defensive side of the ball? Does that make sense? You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, when yeah. they were high school I, kids. I, I'm yeah. guessing defense. you guessing defense? I'm guessing defense. It was overwhelmingly defense. And a crazy sound on this. I mean, you, kind of, you, you peel it back and you, you think about it, it kind of makes sense. Of the 11 offensive starters that were first-team all-pro, not a single one was a blue-chip recruit. Not a single one. So you go through the list. The average rankings of those 11 players was a two-star recruit coming out of high school. Of the 11 first team all pro NFL players this year in the NFL. Justin Jefferson. Uh, he was uh I'm gonna uh, he's got all the names on here because he goes through and he asks different about ev- you know evaluators why this is blah blah blah. Jefferson had to have been a five star recruit. I don't know if he was uh I don't know if he was. Hold on. Let okay. me let me let me scroll. Uh because it has the whole list. Basically. He's an MVP finalist, by the way. They already announced the coach finalists and the MVP finalists. Justin Jefferson's in that group. Yes. And on the defensive side of the ball, it was exactly the difference. Essentially, all the guys on the defensive side of the ball were five star guys. Yes. Uh Justin Jefferson coming out of high school was the three. 308th best wide receiver in the 2017 class. So he was just flying right under the radar yes. for LSU. Uh, Devontae Adams, former two-star prospect. Those were your top two wide receivers, wow. first-team All-Pro. That one makes sense because he went to Fresno Justin Jefferson State. was yeah the 308th wow. best wide receiver in the 2017 class. In my face. The other guys that showed up because uh, J- uh, J- uh, Jacobs out of Alabama was was a two or three-star recruit. Nothing. He was your first-team all-running back. Travis Kelsey's your first-team all-tight end. Two-star prospect. 85th-best tight end coming out in 2008. Your uh, fullback is Kyle Juszczyk, a former zero-star prospect who played at Harvard. Uh, Let's see here. Only one of the uh, guys on the offensive side of the ball was even higher than a three-star recruit. Uh, uh, Trent Williams, who was the fourth pick in the 2010 draft. He was a three-star prospect, uh, the 22nd best guard in the 2006 class. Joel Batonio, two-star prospect. Lane Johnson, fourth overall draft pick, was a zero-star prospect coming out of high school. Jeez. Jason Kelsey, the center, now a five-time All-Pro. He was uh, you know, a, a nothing coming out of high school. So it goes through, and then you look on the defensive side of the ball – And you're talking about guys like Miles Garrett, Chris Jones, Nick Bosa, Dexter Lawrence, Aaron Donald. Donald is essentially the only anomaly on the defensive side of the ball as a guy that was not – I think he was a three-star recruit coming out of college. But Nick Bosa, five-star – I mean, all these guys are four five-star players. And I found it fascinating because – and this isn't necessarily correlate that if you get a five-star kid on the offensive side of the ball, they're going to be a bad college player. A lot of those kids go on to have good college careers. But when it translates to NFL success – it's it's amazing that it's so overwhelming and not a single first-team All-Pro offensive player in the NFL was a blue-chip recruit. So why why is that in your estimation? So they went through it and they asked a bunch of different anonymous scouts and and basically what they said was it is a lot easier to identify defensive recruits than it is offensive recruits. Yeah. For example, a defensive end, like you'd have to have a certain body type to be a de- If you're yep. not big, fast, like you're not going to make it right a corner you have to have long arms you have to have you have a good vertical like there's certain measurables that make it easy to compute this guy's going to be a stud or not whereas a running back kind of what we were talking about earlier like you're you're a lot of it's who's around you do you have a good offensive line do you have a good quarterback are you playing in a good scheme if you're a wide receiver you might not pan out because you don't have a good quarterback and you don't build up the numbers you don't have the career that you thought you would and so essentially they're saying you can have guys that come out of nowhere because they're not great in college because they play with bad teams, essentially, like use Josh Allen as an example at Wyoming, no talent around him. He has to carry everything. You get him in the NFL. He's got some help, a good offense. Like, Holy crap. This guy's really good guys can come out of nowhere on the offensive end. And, and a lot of the scouts in here say on the defensive side of the ball, you can essentially identify it coming out of high school. Yeah. I mean, linebackers, you, you get stories. You mentioned Aaron Donald there, uh, obviously Brian Urlacher out of New Mexico, you get random guys who will pop up occasionally, but for the most part, I, yeah, I mean, look at him. I mean, so take Bosa, okay? Bosa's probably going to win Defensive Player of the Year. He was one of the top defensive linemen coming out of high school. Yeah, exactly. And he got to our State. He was already the biggest and the strongest. He just got bigger and stronger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas, like, you get Antonio Browns of the world that come out of the sixth round and become one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. And you go, well, how does that happen? I mean, because they— Largely aren't as big and strong. They don't get as much recognition. I also think offense, the way offense is structured now, from high school to the pros, the way we spread it out, we use these athletes. There's so many of them that can run fast. But body types change. Programs change. Sometimes you flourish more in certain systems than you did the previous. Yeah, I I, I can understand that logic. It's not like a defensive edge rusher. His body's changing all that much. He's just getting bigger. Right. Uh, and the scheme—it's not a scheme around him. It's just go go sack the quarterback or set the edge and stop the run. Talanoa Hufunga out of Crescent Valley High School in Corvallis was a huge recruit. Yes, he was. He played both sides, but everybody kind of knew, like, dude, that he's got the defensive look, and he goes to college and instantly proves it. So, I, yeah, I think that's a valid point. Little surprising you don't get as many guys. It's, yeah on offense, it's- but when you tell me Justin Jefferson is a three-star, but he still plays at LSU, like that—that that stuff always surprises me because I assume the Jamar Chases, the Justin Jeffersons, it's usually an assumption, I think, for most of us to assume they're at least a four-star. Most of the time you assume five-star, especially with the school they're involved with. Yeah, so I'm trying to pull up his recruiting page because I would have guessed the same thing uh, and, and, you know, how he ended up at, at LSU and all that. So, yeah, he was is in the class of, what would it have been, 2017. He was a three-star rated recruit and the 308th wide receiver in the country. He was the 76th best player in Louisiana. <laughs> He was number 2,164 in the country. That's crazy. Isn't it wild? And he, I mean, he turns out to obviously be one of the best wide receivers in the league. A couple of the notes on this of the DBs, three of the four were five star prospects. Derwin James, first team All Pro, five star prospect. Patrick Sertan, five star prospect. Minka Fitzpatrick, five star prospect. The only one that was an outlier in the secondary was Darius Slay, who was a three star prospect. Uh, And one of the anonymous sources says DBs have to make plays on the ball and compete with wide receivers where a a receiver can simply just be open and make a catch. If a DB is in man, you see that he has to be able to sink his hips, track the ball, have good hands to finish the play. They're isolated and forced to make tough plays. And that's why. Usually when you evaluate them at a young age, they pan out to be great. They say on defensive linemen they have to address blocks every single play, whether they're asked all they're asked to do in college is not drastically different from the offensive line. So you're watching them do what they're truly asked to do. You can see their twitch, their ability to bend off the edge, but they have to constantly do it across from an offensive lineman. So if you're winning those one on one battles, essentially you know this guy's gonna be a stud and he's gonna be great at the next level. Well, also like take the quarterback position too in the NFL. You can you can go get run-of-the-mill wide receiver. And if you have good quarterback play, you end up making some of those dudes. You absolutely do. I mean, the Giants had this, right? Daniel Jones had this resurgent season for his career, and Brian Dayball got put him in a position where he wasn't turning the ball over for the season. They didn't have elite-level wide receivers. Kenny Galladay was largely being laughed and booed at in New York. They didn't like him. And Darius Slayton, Isaiah Hodgins, they pick up off of Buffalo's practice squad. Richie Jane Like, these are guys that aren't highly coveted, but the system and the opportunity presents itself, especially in Kansas City. They lose Tyreek Hill, and people are like, well, I don't know, man. Eh. Valdez, Scanling, you still got Kelsey there. Look he, at Pacheco as a great example he, yeah. of this. A seventh-round pick out of Rutgers, and he's now their number one back look, and had a big game in the playoffs. He looks like Tyreek Hill when yeah. he runs the football. Seventh-round pick. It's Exactly, because you can find the speed. It's just a matter of does that speed, does that skill set translate to what system you're running? It's also crazy because he comes from Rutgers. I didn't. had never heard of him out of Rutgers. Oh, I didn't and, hear about him until this year. I'm like, who's this? I didn't even know his name until like week <laughs> six. I'm like, what's his name again? He looks like Tyreek Hill. Did they get he Tyreek does. Hill back? And yeah. then you put him next to Patrick Mahomes, I guess what happens. He looks a little bit better than he did when he was at Rutgers. So I I don't know. I saw this last week and I was reading through it and I was like, that is insane. One of the last quotes on it, uh, one of South Carolina's coaches said, "Uh, you can see some of them turn out to be not as tough as you thought. Talking about recruits when they get to college. You can't measure their heart, their grit, that football mentality, that stuff you just can't measure at a combine. And now a lot of them get coached up on how to fake that at a combine. And so it was interesting to look through this of all the all pros. Because I asked the question, do you get more excited when your university or football program lands a big time either transfer or recruit on the offensive side or the defensive side and I feel like for the most part as college fans we get more excited about the offensive side of the ball and again it doesn't mean that all these recruits just suck on offense but the the metrics tell us that it is far more likely if you land a blue chip prospect on the defensive side of the ball that they're going to go on to be an all-pro at the next level. So an interesting note, uh, this is an article on The Athletic by Bruce Feldman if you want to go take a gander at it. It was fascinating. Well even the quarterbacks, real quick, even the quarterbacks kind of fall into this a little bit. All the quarterbacks are great. Joe Burrow was a backup walker. On at different schools. Patrick Mahomes was a three star recruit. Lamar Jackson at Louisville. Yeah. uh, Yeah. wasn't the number one kid. Brock Purdy was was like, what, three or four star kid at looked at Iowa State and Oregon State coming out of college. Um, Jalen Hurts, I think, was a highly touted kid. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying you never get highly touted kids, five star kids that pan out at quarterback. I mean, look at Trevor Lawrence, for God's sakes. But then you have Justin Herbert. So you've got Ben Roethlisberger. Like, you just, even that position is not a guarantee. Like, oh, he played for this school and he did this and this and they won, Yeah, that doesn't mean anything, man. Right. You can find Patrick Mahomes. You can find the Josh Allens of the world. You don't always need that five-star pedigree, even at that position. So interesting stuff. That was from Feldman last week. I've had that in my notes. Wanted to bring it up today, that uh, if your school lands a blue tripper on the, on the defensive side of the ball, you should be excited. There's a good chance it goes on to be an all-pro uh, in the NFL. Let's close it up. The Blazers are back in action tonight. We've got some poll questions to answer. We'll wrap it up next on The Fam. Some good texts coming in at the fan text line. On that, somebody said, "Being a US, uh, USC fan, it's all about the D." Well, wait, what? Uh, somebody said, "D side can do their thing." Oh, it has a lot to do with who the quarterback is. They are the Trojans. I mean, who, it is all about the D. It is all about the D. Uh, who threw the ball to Antonio Brown in college? Just using it as an example. Then you get to the NFL. Yeah. You have Big Ben, yeah. uh, Brady, and all that kind of stuff. So it's I don't know. I just yeah, I was reading through that and I was like, it's insane. The average star ranking of the first team All Pro offensive NFL players was a two star recruit. Two-star recruit. I also just, you know, again, I, I think it's just the offense, too. It's it's about system spacing speed yeah. help some, around you yeah it's just a lot a lot of that kind of falls in line with whatever they're running and whoever takes you from where but you're very de- you're very dependent on others around you on the yeah. offensive side of the ball like to have a great defense you need to have others around you obviously yeah. but you can have like if Nick Bosa was on a team with a horrible defense he's still putting up good numbers he's still a stud yeah you're not stopping what right. that production but is. if you're an elite wide receiver and you got nobody to throw you the football well, good I mean, luck putting up 1600 yards on a season. I don't know if anybody coming out of the draft because I I would admittedly say I'm I blank on the year he was taken, but like Aaron Donald, when Aaron Donald's taken, I don't think people are saying that's the greatest no. defensive lineman maybe of all time. I think it was a third round pick, but but third round pick is still decent. Like yeah. we knew Aaron Donald was a good player at Pitt. You know what I mean? That wasn't him being good and great in the NFL may not have been as big a surprise as I'm an idiot. He was not a third. What was he? <laughs> not Later, a, he was a thirteenth pick in the draft. I don't remember him going that high. I, I, I that's why I'm saying I don't. <laughs> 2014. Reason, yeah, I don't remember that draft very well. But like when he's taken, okay, so you're making my point even more. Despite being a three-star playing at Pitt, they're still picking him in the first round with the expectation of no, yeah. no, no, this this dude is special. Yeah, a three-star DT can quickly change the idea of what he is even before the pros. Whereas You know, in college, it's like I'll use Hodgins since he came on with the Giants. It took a few years for somebody to be convinced, hey this guy can do it. And when he finally gets this opportunity he plays and you go, oh, who is this kid? He was on a practice squad a week ago. Right. This is crazy. So I I pulled up the 2014 draft. Just curious. Not a bad draft. That was the Jadavion Clowney draft. So that's the year that Aaron Donald came out. Oh, okay. So Clowney went number one. Greg Robinson, offensive tackle to the Rams, two. The Jags took Blake Bortles, three. Mm -hmm. Sammy Watkins went four to the Bills. Khalil Mack five to the Raiders. A good pick. Jake Matthews to the Falcons at six. Yeah. Mike Evans went to the Bucks at seven. Yeah. Justin Gilbert corner to the Browns at eight. Anthony mm. Barr to the Vikings at nine. Not a bad pick. Eric Ebron tight end to the Lions at ten. He was okay. I you don't could, know. The Lions could have. <laughs> I know uh, they could have had him. Taylor Lewan tackle obviously yeah. to the Titans at eleven. That, that was a good pick. Your twelfth pick was OBJ, right. and then Aaron Donald was the thirteenth pick in the draft. That's yeah. a pretty. That's a. That's a decent draft. I mean, you're probably taking Donald over every single oh, one without of those a doubt. players. He's maybe the best defensive lineman of all time. But, you know, the tight Titans, titans play had a nice there. run with Luan, yep. and OBJ for a first couple of years Evans. was good. Evans yep. has had a great career. There's some okay yep. ones. There's some really Khalil Mack ones. was a stud. He's not quite this player he was, but he was a stud for a long time. Gilbert in Cleveland, I'm going to say, was not a great pick. <laughs> Sammy Watkins to the Watkins, middle, not a m- good pick. Blake Bortles, third of the Jags. Hey, UCF went to a bowl game, <laughs> Oof, baby. Um, all right, the final Farmers Insurance Open tease off today. Do we got any bets? We got any bets down at to Torrey Pines? Anybody we like down there? They're doing a. By the way, no. tip of the cap to golf. Golf usually does dumb stuff. They're going a Wednesday through Saturday tournament this week to avoid the, the AFC and NFC Championship game. It's a smart move. I've watched uh, all the golf so far. I've been awful at picking, so I will not be betting. No, no, no gambling uh, odds. No, no, no. Come on, no, nope. no. Nope. Come on, Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm. John I don't think Scheffler's Rahm. in the lineup this week. Is, is Scheffler Rahm? playing? I don't think he's playing. Rahm is playing. He can win his third tournament this year. John Rama is a big, hairy, winning machine, as yeah. I saw somebody say on social media. I'm going to go with Xander Shoffley. Ballsy, too. Xander Shoffley. Plus my 1100. I'm going to go Colin. Colin, yeah? Can he overcome his blown lead yeah. at the Tournament of Champions? I think he can. Okay. And uh, the Blazers are in action tonight. A slight favorite at home against the Utah Yaz. Mm. They are not great against the number recently. Do the Blazers, hey, don't call it a comeback, make it back-to-back. <laughs> Yes, but not easily. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll sit this. Did you you hear what Dame said? By the way, real quick, did you hear what Dame said? The game ends. He does his press conference. He goes, "We were really close to having an entirely different conversation if we would have lost this game." Yeah, which tells you you should be having an entirely different conversation. <laughs> Don't lose because Spurs. you barely beat the Spurs. Oh, man. Blazers tonight. We'll uh, we'll talk about it tomorrow. See what they do at home against the Yaz tonight. That'll do it for us. If you're missing the show, go check the podcast, 1080thefan.com, at Dirt Sprague, and at 1080thefan on Twitter. Give us some follows. We will talk to you tomorrow at 6 a.m. Call us next. you listening to 1080thefan. Yeah.
4: Okay. Picture this.